So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to know what the heck that has to do with us this week and how we can apply those list, that list of names to our life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I took our kids to the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle to see Cinderella along with some friends of ours. And beforehand, we were all going to meet for dinner. So my wife, as we were driving through Seattle, my wife said, park at the Sheraton, that's where the restaurant is. But then just as I was pulling in, she, she called the couple that were going to meet for dinner, and she found out that the restaurant wasn't in the Sheraton. So I pulled back out into downtown rush hour Seattle traffic, right? I got honked at as I did. That was special. And I was getting worried that we were going to be late, and so there was this kind of tension mounting in the car, all of which led to a really interesting conversation with my wife about planning foresight and communication. It was awesome. Ever have that? <laughs> Brief, but intense conversation, right? So I drove around some more trying to find a parking spot that wouldn't like require a second mortgage to pay for, you know, block after block, and I'm starting to think maybe I'll just quit and just leave the car here and, and, and have it towed. That might be easier. Finally, I found a lot that charged only $5 for the whole night. It was like a Christmas miracle, right? And, and what's, what's discouraging to me is I know that for some of you, the only thing you're going to take away from this sermon is, I got to find that lot. Where is that? And my wife, as we were pulling in, my wife said, oh, this is better. It's closer to the theater. See, kids, see, your dad was persistent and turned lemons into lemonade. At which point, my 10-year-old son said, well, that's not hard. All you need is water and sugar. <laughs> Thanks, literal boy, right? Let me ask you a question. Where in your life, maybe particularly in this season, do you feel like you're just going around and around on something, and maybe you just want to quit? You don't know if you can keep doing it, if you can persevere. Is it a job? Maybe you just feel like you can't keep doing? Or maybe it's a marriage that's hard right now, or raising your children, can't quit that. Right? Maybe it's some kind of volunteer work that is not, it's just not a lot of thanks in that for you right now. Or maybe everything in your life is awesome, it's just great, but there's too much of it, and you're too busy, and you don't know how you're going to keep it all in balance, and you just don't know that you can keep persevering. Well, one of the things that the text we read today says, I think, is that God can give you the power to persevere, especially, especially in those little daily ordinary things that you do in marriage, in raising your kids, at work, at school, in your faith. God can give us the power to persevere in those little ordinary things. And you're wondering how I got all of that out of that list of names. Well, we're going to get there in a minute. We're doing a sermon series this Advent. Uh, about Jesus' family tree. I think it's interesting that the New Testament starts the Christmas story with a list of names of Jesus' ancestors, most of whom were really messed up and made all kinds of mistakes. And Matthew divides this genealogy into three sections, and we just kind of read about that just now. Right? And the first section goes from Abraham to King David, and it's filled with all kinds of famous people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The second set is a list of kings of Israel, also filled with famous people like David and Solomon. But then the Babylonian Empire came in, destroyed Jerusalem, conquered Ju Jerusalem, and then carried the Jews into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. After 70 years, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and the Jews were allowed to go home. But when they went home, they never again were a sovereign nation. They were always from then on ruled by some other empire. The Persians, the Greeks, finally the Romans. So no more kings. So that last set of names in that third section of the genealogy that we read today all, all have one thing in common. 
You've never heard of any of them, right? That and nobody knows how to pronounce their names, right? And I feel sorry for the readers today. I, I always just say, make it up. They don't know how it's pronounced either, right? So you made it up, didn't you, Jen, right? I know, it's Eleazar, not El anyway. Don't... <laughs> I think what that list of names shows us is that God can give us the power to persevere, especially in the small daily acts of faithfulness we do in our families, schools, churches. Because here's the thing, every obscure name on that list represents someone who raised their families, had friends, contributed to their communities, worshiped God, all with no headlines, no fanfare, just ordinary people doing ordinary things. And yet there, they get included in Jesus' family tree. And Matthew wants to make the point that their faithfulness led to Jesus. From generation to generation, they pass faith on to their kids and their grandkids so that when Jesus was born, he was born into a culture that knew the promises of God. Their small acts of faithfulness led to Jesus. So the question I want to ask you is, do you believe that those little things that you're doing, that nobody's maybe noticing, nobody's maybe thanking you for, those little things to raise your kids, to contribute to your community, to participate with Jesus in what he's doing in the world, to love your spouse, do you believe that God can use those little things in a big way? Now, of course, the problem with all of those quiet daily acts of faithfulness is that they're hard to persevere in, right? Because nobody's there rewarding you for them. Nobody hardly ever notices them, right? They're so ordinary. They're so mundane. Billy Graham's wife was once asked, what's it like being married to such a spiritual giant? And she said, oh, it's just so daily, right? And that's the problem with these little daily ordinary acts is they're just so daily and nobody seems to notice and so it's hard to keep going and persevere, right? And so sometimes we get discouraged and we just want to quit, just want to give it all up. Well, the story of one of the names that we read today, there's one name in that long list of names that has a story attached to him. His name is Zerubbabel and I think he gives us some hints of how we can keep going. When the exiles returned from captivity in Babylon, Zerubbabel organized them to rebuild the temple. He wasn't a king. He wasn't famous. He, he, you haven't heard of him. But his story shows how God helps us persevere in those little daily things. And it comes to this. We can persevere because God is faithful. God is faithful in three ways that help us keep going. And the first is this. God is faithful even when we face failure. When Zerubbabel and the exiles returned, all around them was evidence of catastrophic failure. They'd been defeated by the Babylonians. The city had been completely burned to the ground. The temple destroyed. All around them was nothing but rubble. Zerubbabel's name is even a reminder of their failure. It means son of Babylon, right? So this kind of con his parents named him that, this constant reminder of who had conquered them. I mean, who would name their kid that, right? Well, you've got to love these Old Testament names. I know. Let's name them something that will remind us of defeat all the time. That'll be cool. It's, it's sort of like a, a sociologist I read in college. His name is Willard Wallard. Okay, what parent would name their kid Willard Wallard? Especially since he's from Walla Walla, right? That was just cruel. I don't know. I just made that up. Probably from Ohio. All around Zerubbabel was nothing but rubble. And it discourages and paralyzes the Israelites. You ever do that? You look at some of the failures in your life, the, the, the broken relationship, the dead-end job, the schedule that's out of control. It's just rubble, and you just feel paralyzed by it. You just want to quit. 
Well, Zerubbabel knows that God is never finished, God is never done, and that he can work even through failure, and that helps him persevere to rebuild the temple. I have a friend who was studying to be a pastor, and the first sermon she ever gave was to a group of elderly adults in a nursing home. And, and she wanted to get their attention and kind of hold it, so she decided that she'd have this visual aid. She had this flower pot in the sermon, and she, she planted a seed in it and said, this is an example of faith. You can't see the seed growing. You, you just have to trust that it is. Well, at that point, this man got up, came up to the front, cussed at her, took the flower pot, smashed it on the ground, and stormed out. Okay, that was not a part of the sermon illustration. Right? So she, she went home just feeling devastated. It felt like a, a complete and total failure. Until three days later, the chaplain in that facility called her and said, what an awesome sermon. That was amazing. And she's like, huh? He goes, that guy hasn't paid attention to anything for over a year. And now suddenly he's talking and he's asking questions and he's engaged again. Great sermon. Right? So if any of you ever want to come up here and start smashing stuff while I'm preaching, you just keep that feeling to yourself, okay? Just stay in your seat. You see, a zero on our scoreboard can be a home run on God's. We can keep going because God is faithful even in our failures or perceived failures. Second thing Zerubbabel's story shows us is that we can persevere because God works even through obstacles and opposition. Because as soon as Zerubbabel starts to rebuild the temple, the neighbors around them just go crazy. Then they write a letter to the king of Persia who shuts down the building project for 16 years. Ever have something like that happen? You're trying to do something good, and you face opposition, you face obstacles. That's what's going on here. But then, 16 years later, a new king comes to the throne in Persia, and not only does he allow the building project to go forward, he says he'll even pay for it out of the royal treasury. And just to make sure that everyone is clear, he sends out a notice that says this, if anyone defies this edict to let them keep building, a beam is to be pulled from their house, and they are to be impaled on it. Like, whoa! Right? Like, you think the east side has some strict building codes, right? Like, that's, that's intense, right? So they rebuild the temple, and the government pays for it. Cool. We can persevere because God works through failure. God works through our obstacles. Somehow he finds a way. And then finally, we can persevere because God works even through our small, daily, ordinary acts of obedience. Even if we don't see it right away. How did Zerubbabel get this temple rebuilt? Brick by brick by brick. Hundreds of ordinary people putting one brick on top of another until 20 years later, they had a temple. And so much of life, so much of parenting, so much of marriage, so much of faith, so much of school, so much of career, so much of what we do is brick by brick by brick. The little decisions we make. And the kind of person you're going to be, the kind of marriage you're going to have, the, 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 what, what your kids are going to be like, the kind of difference you'll make in this world isn't likely going to be in this one great heroic deed that you do, right? Or in some big decision that you make. It's going to be the culmination of a thousand daily little things that you and I do. I remember several years ago being on a mission trip to, to Rwanda. And on the flight over, which is like you know, 22 hours of flight time in coach, uh, I was sitting there when the person in front of me, in the seat in front of me, sinned a grievous sin. He tried to recline his chair, right? But I happened to have my legs crossed so that my knee was up against the back of his seat so he couldn't get it to recline, right? And he's pushing on it and he's looking around trying to figure out what the problem is. But I got my knee there blocking it and I'm thinking to myself, ha, checkmate, right? Now I can be comfortable 
on my mission trip where I'm going to serve people, right? And I'm the pastor, and this probably doesn't look good for the rest of the team. So I let him recline his seat. There I was, ready to serve God in the big thing, go to Africa to serve people, but not in the little thing. You see, it's not the big decisions, it's not the big acts of service or the heroic deeds that ultimately shape our lives and our characters. It's the culmination of so many little things. A couple years ago, I was playing catch with my son, and after a few minutes, I said, okay, I got to go, bud, because I got to go work on a sermon. And he looked disappointed, so I said, you know what? In a couple of weeks, I'll be on vacation, and when I'm on vacation, we will play catch whenever you want, and we will not stop until you say that we're done. We'll play as long as you want. He was thrilled. In fact, he was too thrilled. He should not have been that happy. That should not have been such an unusual thing for him to make him that happy. And I realized that all those times that I said, I got to go, were adding up brick by brick to a certain kind of relationship in which he didn't think I was going to be there for him. So ever since then, I've done my best to play catch with him or wrestle or whatever it is, whenever he asks, and if at all possible, to do it for as long as he wants to do it, which, as it turns out, can be a very long time sometimes. <laughs> but I keep doing it because I've got this vision that when he's in college and he comes home, the first thing he says to me is not, can I borrow the car, Dad, but can we talk, Dad? And we're not going to get to that kind of relationship by having one great game of catch, right? It's not going to be like in college, he's going to say, hey, remember back when I was eight, that amazing game of catch that changed my life, right? Not likely to happen, especially the way I play catch. And it's going to happen by a hundred moments and a hundred conversations and a hundred game, hundreds of games of catch where I love him and guide him and nurture him, bit by bit. So let me give you three practical things that can help you persevere in the little things when you feel like quitting. And I'm going to sum it up with the acronym VCR, which if you're too young to know what that is, it's an ancient device that played these primitive things called video cassettes, okay? VCR, three things that can help us persevere, practical things. The first is this vision. Do you have a long-term vision of what God is doing in your life and where God is taking you? Zerubbabel had a vision of a rebuilt temple. I have a vision of a certain kind of relationship with my son that keeps me playing catch. Do you have a vision? C, celebrate. Celebrate the moments of victory along the way. After Zerubbabel had laid the foundation of the temple, they threw a big party to celebrate. I mean, the temple wasn't done yet, but it's important to celebrate the little milestones of victory in our family, in our faith, in, our, in, 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 in all the things we do. Maybe go out to dinner with someone or just even a simple prayer of thanksgiving to mark the moment. Vision, celebrate, and then finally, remember. Remember that God is faithful even in our failures, even when we face obstacles, and always faithful to use our small acts of obedience and service even if we don't see it right away. When I taught at Stanford, I volunteered to lead a, a Bible study uh, with a bunch of college guys and, and I would have lunch with each of the guys in this group about every other week just to kind of talk and to mentor them. And, and, and I kind of I felt kind of insecure about doing this college group. It was kind of my first foray into any kind of youth ministry thing. And I had this image in my head that if you're going to do youth ministry of any kind, that you had to be super cool and surf and be named Skip or Troy or something like that. And, you know, that wasn't me. So I was kind of insecure. And there was this one guy in the group that made me feel especially insecure. Because whenever I would get together with him for lunch, he just wouldn't talk, like he didn't want to be there. 
I mean, I would come armed literally with dozens and dozens of questions. We would blow through those questions in about 10 minutes. He'd give like these yes or no answers. And then we would sit there for the rest of the lunch in just this awkward, painful silence trying to make conversation. We did this for three years. At the end of three years, at the last Bible study meeting, I asked, I asked each of the guy, guys what was their highlight from their college life. When it got to him, guess what he said? He said, Scott, the highlight of Stanford for me was those lunches that I had with you. I had to suppress the urge to say, boy, you need to get out more. <laughs> I mean, really, because that's just sad, right? He said, you know, I would look forward to those things for days. I would think about what we talked about for days afterwards. And it made me, it helped me know God better. It made me feel like someone cared, which made Stanford feel like a less lonely place. That was a highlight of college for me. And I realized that I had given him the most valuable thing I had, my time. And I was committed to giving it to him, even if he didn't say anything, even if it didn't seem to be doing any good at all, I was willing to, quote, waste it on him. And that made a difference. After college, he started working for Young Life, helping high schoolers grow in their faith, and he's still doing it. God was faithful. Even though I felt like a failure, even though there were obstacles, God was faithful. Even through this little ordinary thing I did, week after week of just having lunch with someone. So where do you need some encouragement to keep going in those small daily things that nobody seems to be noticing? You know, Advent is a season where we remember and prepare ourselves for Christ's coming. Prepare for his coming, but also remember that Jesus has arrived. And it's a time to remember all those moments that Jesus has been there for us in our past or in our failures or in our obstacles. So this week, as we go into Christmas, will you ask God to help you remember his faithfulness and be encouraged by his faithfulness? Remind you that he is faithful through obstacles, through failures, and faithful to use all those daily things you do that nobody's noticing, but he notices. And he's going to use them someday to bless you and bless others. Because if Christmas proves anything at all, it proves this. God never gives up. You know, every name in Matthew's genealogy, I just think it's fascinating that this is how Matthew starts the Christmas story. Every name in that genealogy, in one way or another, faced obstacles, faced failures. All of them sinned. Some of them just whoppers, right? Abraham lied. Jacob was greedy. Judah and Tamar managed to shatter all Ten Commandments. We talked about that two weeks ago. David committed adultery and then was part of murder, right? Solomon had over, Solomon had over 500 wives. I mean, I, none of you are that messed up. I don't care how messed up you are. None of you are that messed up, right? Matthew's genealogy is all about these messed up people, but you know what it's also about? It's about the faithfulness of God through it all. That genealogy is all about God's faithfulness. Bit by bit, generation by generation, God led his people through sin and failure and obstacles, through the trauma of the Babylonian exile, through ordinary people that most people have never heard of. All through all of it, God led his people all the way to Jesus because God doesn't quit. Finally coming himself in the person of Jesus to redeem us, to be with us, to transform us, and to show us that we can keep going. We don't quit because God never quits. God never gives up. That's what Christmas shows. God never gives up on your faith life. God never gives up on your kids. God never gives up on your marriages. God never gives up on his purposes for your life. God never gives up on this world. God never gives up on his people. We can keep going because God never gives up. God never gives up. God never gives up. Not on you, 
and not on me. So Jesus, as we go into Christmas, some of us feel like maybe you have given up. For those people, I ask, Lord, that you would fill them with your love and your power and your Holy Spirit. Lord, for others of us, maybe we're celebrating. Help us to know to whom we owe our gratitude. And for all of us in this room, God, ask that you remind us of your faithfulness and make us thankful for it and help us to follow you because of it. In your name, Jesus. Amen.